0: Well, thank you, Doug. I appreciate that so much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to preach once in a while. Um, this feels at home to me. Um, I remember so many times. Well, first of all, when we opened this building up in October of two thousand and two, um, it was like this amazing place, great sound, great everything. And I was just one. I was just thinking this morning as we were hearing, you know, worshiping together. What a great sound there is and what a great feel there is in this, this sanctuary. I'm just so thankful uh, to be back here. Um, as you know, I, I, I began in summer of 2000. We were at a strip mall at uh, Galveston and Alma School, and right next to Floridino's, which we ate at a lot in those days. <laughs> and uh, then I retired in 2015, which I've discovered I'm very poor at, uh, retiring. But uh, I think we're done now, and we're here worshiping with you, and I'm loving it. But I was thinking about those early days at uh, the strip mall. My first Sunday was in July of 2000, and there was just a few people there, a small, small sanctuary area, and out back there was a little welcome area, stove, refrigerator, some tables, et cetera. And uh, it was uh, my first Sunday preaching, so I was up there, and I I was bringing it, I thought, you know. And then every 15 seconds, you'd hear this, chirp, chirp. And I thought maybe some, I was on a timer. I, I, I didn't really know what that was. Uh, I thought maybe the church had hiccups. There was a lot of options, but we found out it was the refrigerator. Remember that, Gary? The chirpy, we called the refrigerator chirpy. And uh, so it was kind of like a metronome, you know, every 15 seconds, chirp. Sure, you know, it's one of those deals. But so things have, we've come a long ways uh, since, uh, since those days. And I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm, I, I love Doug and Heidi, and I love him being my pastor, and I love being part of this church, and I'm really thankful to have this opportunity to preach. I told Sherry, I said, of all the things that a pastor does that are annoying and hard, some of you were those people. Uh, <laughs> The thing I love the most is preaching, so I'm glad to be able to do that uh, once in a while. So, uh, well, I'd like to begin just uh, with a prayer, and if you feel comfortable, I would invite you to extend your hands. as just as kind of a symbol, a physical symbol of receptivity to the Word, right? So if you would be willing to do that, Father, here we are, uh, your people. Uh, this is an expression of the kingdom of God, uh, this family at Hope Covenant Church, and we Settle in now, and we are inviting you into our lives through the word. We're inviting you to help us understand and help us believe. Uh, We're inviting you to convict us. We're inviting you to bless us. And, Lord, we desire to receive this word now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, one summer, uh, several years ago, uh, Sherry and I... uh, vacationed in Kewa Island, South Carolina. Beautiful, beautiful area. I think at the time, uh, Bruce and Stacy had a a condo that they knew of, and we were able to get that, and it was just great. Well, one Sunday, uh, we visited one of the oldest churches in the United States, St. John's Presbyterian Church. Get this, founded in 1719 a generation before George Washington was born. (laughs) Just put that in your head, right? It was a fascinating place. They had little pew boxes. If you've ever seen pictures of this, these are like family pews. And I think you had to tithe in order to get one of these deals, but your family sat in this little box, and you actually had closed the door so the kids couldn't get out, right, couldn't escape. And it was just an amazing place. It was small, but around the top of the uh, ceiling, or right next to the ceiling, right on top, were all these plaques, dozens and dozens and dozens of plaques, all around the sanctuary. And these represented the pastors who had served that church, 300 years' worth of pastors, right? Each pastor was listed by their name, their date of birth, their date of death, and their date of service to the church. For instance, uh, Jonathan Knox, a good Presbyterian name, but that was one of the ones up there, Born 1698, died 1769, served St. John's 1731 to 1757. Imagine, each of these men, and they were all men in those days, right? Stories, their families, their joys, their tragedies were represented by two numbers: a date of birth, a date of death, and a dash. Out behind the church were hundreds of Of gravestones all the way back to the 1600s. Incredible. But the thing that stayed with me was that each one of those lives, each one of those ministries was represented by two numbers, a date of birth, a date of death, and in the middle was simply a dash. And that little dash represented their entire life. Who did this man love? What were his passions, his dreams, his sins, his regrets? My father died at a young age. He was 56, uh, died of lung cancer. But he was in the Navy, and uh, so he was buried. We lived in San Diego. He was buried at Rosecrans uh, Cemetery, which was a a large naval cemetery there in Point Loma in San Diego. And where he's marked there are two dates, Thomas Lee Cross, 1927 to 1983, and his life was simply represented by a dash. Now, when you think about it, we have control over very few things regarding our birth, uh, where we were born, who we were born to, uh, what was the culture like, what was the country we were born in, what was the time frame, all of these things, and only God knows our times. But the Bible says that we are in his hands, right? We know that. We recognize that. But one thing God does give us a lot of control over is this. We get to decide how to live our dash. You know, for me, the years between 1948 and whenever, I get to decide when to, how to live my dash. So here's the question of the day. How are you living your dash? How are you spending these precious, this precious time between your date of birth and your date of death? How are you living the dash? Are you living the dash or are you dashing to live like so many people in our society today? And that's the question that the Apostle Peter poses in his first letter, 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn there to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, it's interesting, you know, I still like to use my Bible. I use my phone a lot for my devotions and stuff like that, but I found myself the other day when I was in, in the Scripture, I was going like this. <laughs> it's not moving, you know. <laughs> so we're in a, we live in a new day, right? So, uh, uh, you know, I, I still like the, the, the old, old way. So. Uh, so that's the Apostle Peter. Now, a little context. So this was written uh, when Nero was emperor. And as you know, uh, Nero was a very um, strong persecutor of the Christian church and individual Christians. And uh, so Peter was experienced a lot of persecution. The church itself was experiencing a lot of persecution. Remember, the Apostle Paul was probably already executed by the time this book was written. And Peter was beheaded in AD 68. So all of these things were happening, and all of these terrible things were happening to Christians. Uh, They were being persecuted. They were being jailed. They were being killed. They were being uh, kept from good jobs, kept from serving uh, or uh, shopping in the marketplace. All of these things were happening to these Christ followers. So there was a profound sense of persecution among the church. So uh, Peter comes and writes this book, and he's got this in his head. What's happening to the Christ followers and the churches that Paul has planted. And he's really feeling deeply for them. And so he writes uh, these words. In fact, it's such a great book. You need to read the whole book of 1 Peter. But I'm just going to focus on a few verses this morning. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So uh, this is the word of God for the people of God at Hope Covenant Church. Listen to these words. This is in the NLT, the New Living Translation. The end of the world is coming soon. That's a good way to start off. People, now, but they're feeling it, right? These Christ followers, a Jewish converts to Christianity, pagan converts to Christianity, Gentile converts to Christianity, these people are feeling this persecution. They're feeling, okay, this is, this is not going to last very long, right? Before Nero gets us, right? So uh, they're feeling it. The end of the world is coming soon, but Peter's thinking about something else, right? Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. That everything you do will bring, will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. The end of the world is coming soon. Now, the listeners were probably saying, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not sure how much longer we're going to live. We heard about the Apostle Paul, that he was executed. They're worried about that. What's going to happen to Peter? He's kind of the bishop of Jerusalem. Uh, we, we, we just don't know what's going to go, go on. This is not good uh, because Nero is systematically killing Christians. They're worried. The end of the world is coming soon. Now, they were thinking about their physical death, of course, but Peter was also referring not only to their physical death, he was referring to some other event, and that was the second coming of Jesus Christ. How are we going to live our dash between our date of birth... And for many of us, our date of death. And maybe for some of us, the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> maybe before we die, this event will take place. Peter had this in mind. He believed it was going to happen even in his lifetime. Yeah, this could very much happen. Well, you might ask, well, how much time do I have now? Well, no one knows. But in Peter's day, the idea of Christ's return was expected to be, what? Soon, very soon. It was expected, that's where the word imminent came from. In other words, not far away. So some of the other New Testament writers said similar things. Listen to a few of these these verses. Romans 13, 12. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Paul's referring to the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back, the night is here. Look, it looks bad. Everything around us looks bad, right? But but the day is almost here. Philippians 4, 5. The Lord is at hand. It's referring to his second coming. James 5.8, the Lord's coming is near. Uh, Revelation 22.20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. Well, how soon is soon? <laughs> We've been waiting for 2,000 years, right? How soon is soon? Well, if you have read uh, C.S. Lewis and some of his works, uh, The Voyage of the Don Treader, Uh, You may remember this conversation between uh, Lucy and Aslan. Aslan was the lion that was kind of the Christ figure in the story. Here's their conversation. Aslan says to Lucy, do not look so sad. We shall meet again soon. Lucy responds, please, Aslan, what do you call soon? Aslan replies, I call all times soon. And instantly, he was vanished The mystery of the second coming is that it's personal. The Lord Jesus himself will return. By the way, this isn't a message on the second coming. I just a reminder, right? But it's also imminent. He could come at any moment. So whether you live a full life, a long life, or your life is shortened by circumstances or disease, or Jesus Christ returns before the end of this service, wouldn't that be awesome, right? Right? That'd be cool. Peter signals four things for us to do in living our dash. So as much time as we have left before our death or the second coming of Jesus, how are we supposed to live our lives? The first thing that we see in Peter's letter is this, to live intentionally. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. 1 Peter 4, 7. Now, the word earnest is defined as... um, Clear-minded, unmuddied. It's the same word that's used in Mark chapter five when uh, the story of the legion of demons that was in this man they were cast out. The man that cast out. That word is used, meaning that man. That man all of a sudden was clear-minded. His mind was no longer clouded or muddied. Right now, Peter says. Right mind, clear thinking, unmuddied, in the face of persecution, yes, Christians in the first century, in the 60s, right? Yes, Christians, it's difficult, it's tough. Some of you are going to die, but stay focused in spite of your circumstances. Keep your eye on the prize. Stay focused on what really matters. And then you say, well, okay, well, then what really matters? Well, throughout the New Testament, there's this description of these two worlds that are kind of at war, pushing back against each other. I'll, I'll call them, and, and some of you remember this, I'll call them the little kingdom and the big kingdom. The little kingdom is the kingdom of man. We live in that every day. Uh, this, uh, and if you know your history, you know what happened. Sin entered the world. It didn't enter it through Adam and Eve. It actually entered it before that with the angels, right? But sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And Paul reminds us in Romans chapter five, Paul reminds us that when sin when Adam and Eve sinned, it's like it opened this door. and in this door in flooded sin and brokenness and sickness and earthquakes, things that we call acts of God, right? And all of this, bad, all when sin was open, opened the door, all this stuff came flooding in. That is the little kingdom. That's the kingdom that we live in, the kingdom of man. We live in that every single day. We have to figure out how to navigate our way through that. We have to figure out how to love through that, how to experience life fully through that. But that's the world that we live in. But there's another kingdom. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is in you. The kingdom of God starts now. We call that the big kingdom, right? The big kingdom is the kingdom of God that as Christ followers, we live in. Our kingdom is ruled by Jesus. It's, the kingdom of God is the kingship of Jesus in our lives. And so these two kingdoms are constantly at battle. They're constantly at war. And they really saw that in the 60s, right? When Christians were being persecuted and everything was going wrong and they were fighting constantly. And Peter reminds them, you gotta stay focused you got to pray earnestly. You've got to remember which kingdom you belong to. you got to stay the course, stay focused and pray. Now, the Methodists, uh, John and Charles Wesley started the Methodist Church. They didn't intend to start the Methodist Church, but it came out of their teachings. Uh, in the mid 18th century in England. So uh, the Methodists have this great thing. I don't know if they still do this in the United Methodist Church because that's a little bit further to the left, but, but uh, the original Methodists, they called themselves Wesleyan Methodists, right? The Methodists had, when they would worship, they would talk about two things. They would talk about centering. And what they meant was, okay, now is time to center on God. You know, G.K. Chesterton say, said, when you think of God, think magnificently of God, okay? They were centering on God. And the other phrase they used was to hunker down. Isn't that a great word? If you ever want to tell your kids to do something, oh, you kids go over there and hunker down. Okay, yeah. What does that mean? Well, that then for them, okay, settle into this idea that I am focusing my full attention on God. That's the kingdom of God. That's the, king, the big kingdom. That's the kingdom that we are called to be in while we're still living in the kingdom of man. Stay focused. Stay centered. Stay focused hunkered down. So um, when we went to seminary, to North Park Seminary in 1974, uh, Tammy, our daughter, was the only of our children that was born. She was a year old. And we got to seminary, and it was awesome, and we loved it. And a couple years in, um, my grandparents, my paternal grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Cross, came to stay with us. Remember that? Right? And we had this little 600-square-foot apartment, but they stayed with us, and, and we had a great time. And part of the idea was they would come and stay for a couple of days while we went on a little trip because we had never been away from our daughter. So this, it's time. We've got to get away from this kid, right? So uh, you, you know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. And so, okay, so we're going to do it. So Grandma and Grandpa, you know, we kiss her goodbye. She cries, of course, and we take off. And she's standing at, the, we, have, we lived on this, uh, it was the first floor, but it was kind of a first floor and a half. We were off of the, the ground level. So the window overlooked the street and where our car parked. And she saw our car pull away and she was crying and everything. And, and uh, a grandma came over and tried to console her and said, Tammy, she's three years old at this time. Tammy, listen, mommy and dad are gonna be back soon, okay? They're gonna come back soon. And uh, when they do, uh, you, you look out this window and you'll see the car parked there. Right now it's gone, right? But when you see the car parked there, you'll know that mommy and daddy are back. Okay? Is that right? okay? Okay. So she goes and she plays and she's doing her stuff. And then every wa- once in a while, my grandma said, she would wander over to the window and just stand there and she's kind of look. No, not back yet, so go back and play with her toys. And throughout the weekend, she did this several times. Well, well here's what Peter's saying. Keep your eye on the window. Keep focus on the fact that there is something else. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the big kingdom. It's called we are called to love and to serve each other. It's something that is so spectacular, so great. Keep your eye on the... Now, live your life. Walk away from the window. Live your life. Do your stuff. The little kingdom. We have to do all that. But every once in a while, you need to walk over and look out the window. That's what Peter is saying. When we are to live intentionally, it's to recognize that we are called to be big kingdom people. Next, Peter pleads in living the dash to love deeply. Listen to this, verse eight. Most important of all, continue to show deep love. In the NIV, it says, love deeply for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Love Deeply. Now, this is a fascinating word in the original language, in the Greek language. The word deeply can be translated fervently. And the idea of the word is it's like an athlete that is straining his muscles, you know, running a race. Or a horse running at a full gallop, every muscle in tune and strained. A sprinter stretching for the tape at the end of a race. Uh, at the gym where I work out, they have every year they have a, a bunch of sports memorabilia that you can uh, that have been signed. They had a, a D Hop uh, jersey that was signed and a helmet and there are different pictures and stuff. And the idea is you auction on that and the Mountainside Fitness gets money for this, et cetera, et cetera. So they had a picture a picture of Larry Fitzgerald. You know, we all miss him, right? Yeah, especially this year, we're gonna miss him. And, 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 and there's, uh, there's a picture of him stretched out completely, parallel to the ground, catching a ball in the end zone. And he's, he's parallel to the ground. It's, it's like it's amazing, and we remember those kind of catches, right? And it's just incredible. And he's reaching, he, he just grabbed that ball. That's what that word means. It means stretched out. Your love needs to be stretched out. It's easy to love people that you like. That's not stretched out love. That's just love. Okay, that's easy. It's easy to love family members, some of them that you like. (laughs) But we're talking about stretched out love. People that are your enemies. People that you don't like. Family members that are estranged from you. That's stretched out love. That's what it means to love deeply. Laying out. It's love that goes on and on and on. C.S. Lewis, once again, in uh, the Four Loves, the book Four Loves, he said this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket on your own selfishness. There, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love deeply is to stretch out your love, to open yourself to being vulnerable and hurt. Above all, love each other deeply, Peter writes. Man, in that context, you can imagine... When the people were, you know, somebody from their assembly, their, their church at Jerusalem, they're missing. Anybody seen Jim? No. We, what's happened to him? We don't know. He's just gone. Stretched out love. How do we love, how do we love um, our enemies in this context? How do, how do we love uh, those who are persecuting the church? How do we love Nero? Above all, love each other deeply. Now, it says that that kind of love covers a multitude of sins. Paul says in you know First Corinthians thirteen, love is patient, kind. It is not jealous or proud or boastful, not irritable, no record of wrongs. But what he says at the end is that love never fails. Just think of that one little phrase: love never fails. Imperfect love fails. A non-stretched-out love fails. Love never fails. A year ago, I was. Uh, doing Karen Fouts's grandson's wedding. His name's Dylan and Chloe. And this is, uh, I think it was a year ago, right, honey? Yeah. And so I was doing this wedding, and here are all of these shiny, bright college kids. They're great. They're all, they were all from Grand Canyon, uh, you, uh, you know, Grand Canyon University. And uh, shiny, white, beautiful, lovely, Christ-following kids. I loved them all. They were all these kids in their 20s, and they're all happy, and they're having fun, and they're dancing. And And I remember that that couple standing before me getting married, their tears, and, and I thought to myself, they have no idea what they're getting into. <laughs> all these beautiful young people. They have no idea what stretched out love is, right, in a marriage with your kids, with your grandkids, with how do we do this? I mean, you don't have a clue. And, and what Peter is saying is that, listen, this kind of perfect love it covers sins. It doesn't make sins go away. It doesn't mean you ignore them or deny them or sweep them under the rug or wash them away. But, but sin uh, is something that we are to do. We are to forgive. Now, this I, this is a whole sermon series. Maybe Doug wants to do someday. Forgiveness is such a key part of our life as Christ followers, especially stretched out Christ followers, especially Christ followers who are living in the kingdom of God and, and, and such an important part because that was Jesus' most important work. That was the thing he did that mattered more than anything else is forgive, and he did that by going on the cross to die for your sins and for my sins. This really matters. This kind of love that connects you to forgiveness and, and I, I understand that sometimes the person that you're forgiving doesn't want to be forgiven or don't think they should be forgiven. But the fact is you forgive. I mean, you need to make forgiveness a life sentence not just something you say or just flip out there. Yeah, I forgive you. you know, it needs to be a life sentence. And you need to pray for those people that are hurting you, pray for blessing and pray for favor on those ones. It means to love deeply, stretched out love. This is the way Jesus described it in John 13, 36. I just added this this morning, so it's not up on the screen. A new commandment I give you to love each other just as I have loved you. And your love will prove that you are my disciples. He's telling the disciples, you guys have no idea how bad this is going to be, how hard this is going to be. How many of you are going to be martyred, all but one, right, all but John? How many of you, are facing all this, but when you love the way that I've loved you, you can do it. You can do it. And really it just begs this question. Maybe this question needs to hang with you today. Says, in my life, in this kind of stretched out love, in this kind of living intentionally, um, what does love require? In this moment, with this person, with this group, what does love require? The next thing that Peter talks about, and we'll move quickly through these, is to share openly. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay, First Peter 4.9. Now, for me, I don't like that verse, because I don't want all kinds of people hanging around in my house. But Sherry, <laughs> those of you that know her, so... COVID and her knee replacement have caused about a two-and-a-half-year thing where we didn't have a lot of company. Well, she's trying to make up for it now, you know. And, you know, people coming and going. But, but there's something about this idea of sharing not just your home, but sharing food, sharing your lives, your stories. This is what Peter's talking about. Now, Peter also has in mind what was written by Luke, right, in Acts chapter 2, that when the disciples were all together, they shared everything they had, right? Well, they didn't have a choice. These people, they, they couldn't find jobs, they had no place to live, of course they shared everything. Food, clothing, places, all that, they shared that, all that, when things were going. But you know, this is still a principle that's transferable to us today. God didn't give you a home so it could be a monument. He gave you a home so that you could use it for his kingdom, for his glory. I mean, anybody that's been in this church for a while knows the hospitality of of, uh, Bruce and Stacy Heimkes. How about Jim and Debbie Selland? Jim, God bless his soul, he just passed away a few months ago. Uh, Their house was always filled with people from the Navajo Nation or other people. They're always, that's what it means to kind of stretch out this, whatever it takes, whatever you need, share openly your heart, your home, share openly with others. And then Peter suggests another way to live the dash, and that's to to serve faithfully, to serve faithfully. Listen to 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each one of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Many of you already, if you've been around the church, around the Bible for any length of time, you understand about spiritual gifts. You've probably taken spiritual gifts inventories and identified what your spiritual gifts are. That's great. That's all good stuff. But what Peter's talking about here is something almost too personal. He's talking about the way that God has gifted you, it is incumbent upon you, it's required of you. What does love require? it is required of you to share those gifts with the body of Christ. Now, he uses the analogy, or Peter doesn't, but Paul does, the analogy of our bodies being like the body of Christ, right? So we have an eye, an arm, an ear, a tongue. In Romans 12, many parts... Each are unique and special, have special functions and special features. Each one of you has a special function and a special feature in this church, in the body of Christ, to make things work beautifully for the glory of God. That's the whole purpose of the whole thing. I mean, I, I've seen this. We've, Sharon and I have been here since October now. And uh, we've seen those of you who are passionate about the refugee ministry. Those of you, you may not be passionate about landscape, but you do it even in the summer. God bless you. Small group leaders, those of you that make coffee and cook meals for people that are sick, those of you who are teachers, those of you who are singing or playing in the band or teaching children or teens, all of these things are part of the body of Christ. We use them as gifts. I remember um, the first time we did uh, Easter at Tumbleweed Park in 2008, Um We didn't know what to expect, but it was unbelievable. We had 2,000 kids there for the Easter egg hunt, and 1,000 people stayed for the worship service under that big pavilion. But here was the thing that impressed me more than anything else. 150 of our people at Hope volunteered that day to serve. 150 volunteered to serve. Not to do their thing, but to serve. And we, as the body of Christ, we need each other. So here's some questions that you might ask yourself. What am I doing with the gifts that God has given me? Who am I loving? Who am I stretching out my love towards? How am I using the gifts that God has given me? Is Hope Covenant Church a better, stronger, more blessed place because I am here? I'd like to ask the worship team if they would to come at this time. So there was a, um, during World War II, a small French town was bombed incessantly by the Third Reich. And their town had just kind of crumbled. Well, the pride of their town was this beautiful statue of Jesus in the middle of the town. And, of course, that statue was was pretty much ruined. Well, after the war was over, they decided that they wanted to try and put that statue back together, so they did their very best. And it did a pretty good job. It looked pretty good. When they were finished, the only thing they couldn't find were the hands of Jesus So here you have the statue of Jesus with no hands, right? And that was pretty important to them because they had had the holes in the hands to show that he had sacrificed for their sins, right? And then somebody put a plaque at the bottom of the statue that read this. He has no hands but ours. And that's what we as Christ followers are called to do and be. Living the dash, fully, abundantly, stretched out with purpose and without reservation, he has no hands, no feet, no lips, but ours. We are the body of Christ. One thing over the years I've been the, as I've been the pastor here and now a member here is the way that this church loves each other. It is an amazing thing, and it's what Peter says matters so much. So the words of Peter once again, the end of all things is near. Whether you live to the ripe or to a ripe old age or your life is shortened by tragedy or disease or if Jesus returns before you close your eyes the end of all things is near how are you going to live your dash hey i'm the first one to admit that the world is upside down long held standards and morals have fallen men and women boys and girls are afraid There is rampant racism to this very day. These mass shootings just break your heart every time you hear of one. Nations will continue to rise against nations. But in these earth-shaking times, Peter says, live intentionally. Big kingdom, keep your eye on the window. Know that Jesus will return and he promised that I will make all things new. In these turbulent times, love deeply, and forgive wholly. What does love require? As you see the end approaching, share openly your heart, your home. And as the day draws near for the return of Christ, serve faithfully. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Hope Covenant Church, this is our call to live our lives, to live them fully, to live them without reservation the sake of the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, um, what a joy it is to be your child. Every time we start mentioning or thinking about our blessings, we, we're we just overwhelmed with what you've done for us and what you've given us. But we also know that, like in Peter's day, we live in turbulent times. We live in times that are broken because that floodgates opened, all the sin rushed in when Adam and Eve sinned, and we still feel it and see it and taste it today. But Lord, you have called us to live intentionally, to live as big kingdom people, to love wholly and deeply with all that we have in our lives, to serve faithfully. Father, help us as your children to do that. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand what it means to walk in truth to walk in truth, to stand tall. And Lord, we know that uh, you have called us to be a part of this church. You have called us to be part of the kingdom. And may we live that dash faithfully for the sake of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people together say, amen.